Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we praise you that you do hold us and keep us in your hand. We just thank you that you have brought us into your family, that you guide us and you direct us. I pray, Lord, that you do so by the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 as we continue our study this morning of verses 1 through 2. Paul wrote in the first and second verse of Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? As we began our study last week of verses 1 and 2, I made mention that Paul at the beginning of these verses is beseeching us. And it's a word that's not used in the modern vernacular, but what it means is he's exhorting us. And so you can imagine if I came up to you and I said, I'm exhorting you to do something, it would cause your attention level to rise, wouldn't it? It's a word that he's emphasizing, look, you need to do these things. He did this because he just finished a doxology or a praise to God as he finished Romans 1 through 11 that summarizes the great salvation that we find ourselves in. That in spite of our wickedness and our sinfulness, to the grace of God, we are saved through his mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ. This causes him to say, I beseech you therefore, brethren. What's he beseeching us to do? That we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a wonderful verse. To counter the idea that our salvation is static. And unfortunately, I think in today's time, the vast majority of Christians look at their salvation as a static experience. It's not static, it's dynamic. In other words, there's a lot of people that look back to a specific point in time and say, This is when I became a child of God. And it's an event. And it's kept in that nice little framework, that date and time. And depending upon your denominational tradition, depending upon your tradition, for example, I grew up in the Baptist tradition, and Baptists say they don't have liturgy, but we all know what walk the aisle means, right? So... This is when I walked the aisle. This is when I went through confirmation. This is when I did this. This is when I did that. And it's this static view of something in your past. And that's the inappropriate way to look at your salvation. Because our salvation isn't static. 
it is dynamic. It is ongoing, and this verse proves this. Why? Because we are told to present our bodies as what? A living sacrifice. In other words, your life with Christ is ongoing. It's nice and convenient if you think about, as I've said before, your salvation is your ticket to heaven. And you look back, and for my example, I gave my life to Christ in 1976. And so if I just kept my token in my pocket that said dated 1976, this is Monty's ticket to heaven. And that's all that is. And I don't ever look at my life as a dynamic salvation that God's called me to live a life for him. That's nice and convenient. I can kind of do what I want if that's my view. That's not what God's called us to do. Our salvation is dynamic, and here he's told us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 31, when Paul says, I affirm by the boasting in you in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is you and I evaluating our life based upon the godly standard and looking at that and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we let go of this world and we grab a hold of the godly standard. I die daily. That's just not words from Paul. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 9 verse 23 where he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. In other words, our salvation's dynamic. It's us dying daily and living for God. It's ongoing. In other words, in all aspects of our lives, we should be living them within the context of Christianity. Every single thing. This is the complete opposite of looking back at a static event. Every day we need to examine ourselves. Every day we need to do what the Apostle Paul did and say, I die daily. One could say, well, that's just for religious zealots, right? No, because look at what Paul said. He said that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. In other words, he's not asking us to do something that we're incapable of doing. He's saying that we should live and present our life as a living sacrifice, and it is reasonable. This isn't for people in ministry. It's not for missionaries. It's not for zealots. It's for all of us. He's writing the Church of Rome and he's telling every single member that you need to live your life, presenting your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And it's reasonable. 
That brings up this question, why is it reasonable? Because we live in a world that tells us that living a holy life is unreasonable. It's unattainable. I mean, after all, because everybody's going to sin, right? Everybody's going to sin. God understands. He knows that we all have clay feet. But Paul says that we should live a holy life and it's reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 verse 2, John wrote this. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. By our faith that was given to us by God. Remember, our faith isn't something that we conjure up with our own might or will. The Bible says that even our faith is the gift of God. And through our faith, what are we? We are overcomers. And being an overcomer, John tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. Now, when John wrote, he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This isn't intellectual acknowledgement of a historical figure. That's not what John's talking about when you believe that Jesus is Christ. When we believe When we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior of the world, that he's the Son of God, we reorder our life because he is king. He's king. And when you live your life according to the king, you're living in his kingdom. And by living in the kingdom, you have the ability to overcome the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, for the Christian, for the Christian, sin is a choice. For the Christian, sin is a choice. For the unsaved, sin is bondage. But what did Jesus Christ do? He unshackled the chains, didn't he? He took us out of bondage. He redeemed us. And as a believer, you and I have the ability to overcome temptation. So within that context, why is it reasonable that we present our bodies as a holy living sacrifice acceptable to God? It's reasonable because God has given us the power to do it. God would be a cruel God if he didn't enable us. But he enables us to present our bodies and it is reasonable. So we have the power through Christ to live a holy life and to present that life to God. 
But in order to do that, the Christian must first recognize the environment in which we live, and we have to make a choice. Look at our focal passage. Back to Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we have a choice. Sometimes I would call myself a Calvinist or call myself a Reformed theologian. Sometimes Calvinism gets a bum rap because people say, well, where's your choice? Where's your free will? Well, let me tell you where my free will is and where your free will is, as if you believe in Reformed theology. As a sinner, I was bound by sin. I was shackled by sin. I was enslaved to sin. But as a redeemed person of God, I have a free will in how I live my life. And I have a choice. And that choice is is whether I'm conformed or transformed. That's the choice that we have here this morning that we're talking about. Confirmation. Or transformation. Confirmation or transformation. That's what Paul's talking about. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world wants us to conform. And so as a believer, I have to recognize what environment am I living in. And until Jesus Christ comes back, I am living in an environment of sin. I'm living in an environment of sin. The majority, the majority of people that I interact with on a daily basis, because that's what we have to recognize. The majority of people in this country do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. So the majority of the people that I interact with and that you interact daily with do not know Christ. And what do they want you to do? They want you to conform. They want you to conform. The world wants you to conform. Why? Because it makes them feel good, right? Makes them feel good. If you go along with them in their sin. As I was writing my sermon, it made me think about the book of Daniel In the book of Daniel, you could say it's a book of prophecy, yes, and I can preach that book and have preached that book from a book of prophecy. You could look at that book as a historical book, but you could also look at that book in the life of Daniel in his unwillingness to conform. Think about it. As an extremely young person, a teenager, he was taken from his homeland He was in a land of pagans and living in a land of pagans and operating and rising to the highest level of government. You can look at the life of Daniel and the one thing that you can say is, is that he never conformed to his society. He never conformed. He didn't conform to their dietary law. He didn't conform to pagan worship. He didn't conform to worshiping the king. He stayed true to his faith. But the entire time in that book, society and the other people that he interacted with, 
was trying to get him to conform. And we need to recognize that for ourselves. Is that if you surround yourself with ungodly people, you have to recognize that the entire time that you're surrounded by ungodly people, they are going to try to get you to compromise your faith. And unfortunately, we live in a world where we see churches all around us fall to confirmation. And we've been doing it for decades. Instead of looking at the world and saying, we're different. A lot of churches are looking at the world and going, we can be just like you. That doesn't do anything. First of all, it doesn't glorify God because what we're doing by saying that Christ can transform you, we're saying we're different from the world. We're different. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 Peter wrote, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. There you have it. As we live in an environment of sin, we're at battle. We're battling and we look different. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We are living in a time where living a Christian life is becoming more at odds with society than ever before. And society's looking at us and they're saying, we're evil. We're evil. What's the best way to counter that? We could try to solve it in a number of different ways, but the best way to solve it is by living a holy life. That's what Peter wrote. By your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Unfortunately, the church has lost its focus. We could spend all of our time looking out into the world and talking about how bad things are. But my friends, the best thing that we could do is look inside of our life and say, what do I need to do to increase my holiness within the teachings and truths of God? We're a witness. We're a witness through our holiness. That doesn't mean that we're not going to stand out. We're sojourners and pilgrims, right? I remember first time we went to Europe and I was reading this guidebook and it said that you shouldn't dress a certain way because you'd stand out as an American. Well, that's impossible. People are going to know you're an American anyway. We we dress so much different. Dress has so much, if you think about in society, uniforms tell us what we do. When I was in high school, I sold suits in high school. And I had to be at work at 3.30. Which means my last two years of high school, I wore a coat and tie. I kind of stuck out wearing that coat and tie. It was made matters worse in the fact that I was the person that did the announcements every day over the speaker. I stuck out. I looked different. That comes at a cost. In the way that I was dressing, it comes at a cost 
as you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, living our life as a pilgrim. That we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, and in so doing, it comes with a cost. And we have to recognize that cost, that we are in a battle. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. My friends, we are at war and the choice is confirmation or transformation. Are you going to be molded and bent to look like society? Or are you going to stand firm and stand on the Word of God? Because when He tells us, put on the whole armor of God, There's a transformation in that, isn't there? Look back at our passage, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How are we transformed? Our mind is renewed. How does that happen? Stott in his commentary says we're being renewed by two components. The first one is by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But their minds were blinded, for until the day the same veil remains, unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. When you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil was taken away so that you and I could understand the things of God. We were given the Holy Spirit. So that we can understand God's Word. How often we take that for granted. As we have in possession our Bible, it's not just a book. You and I have the indwelling of the Spirit to where we can understand it. Not only do we have the book... But when you look at Ephesians 4, verse 20, Paul wrote, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard of Him and have been taught by Him. In verse 20 of Ephesians 4, it says, Learned, heard, and taught. Learned, heard, and taught. You first met Jesus that way, and you're still encountering Jesus that way through the indwelling of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says that we are a new creation in Christ. Titus 3, verse 4 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've got the Spirit inside of us. And we can present our life to God because we have the indwelling of the Spirit. But it just doesn't stop there. It's also His Word. The Spirit in the Word transforms us. 
The Spirit and the Word transforms us. Ephesians 6 verse 17 describes the Bible as the sword of the Spirit. Now, if I'm living in an environment of sin, I need a weapon. If I'm at battle, I need a weapon. And that weapon is the Word of God. Because after all, I'm not battling humanity. You're not battling humanity. We're battling darkness. And the only way that I can battle darkness is through the Word of God. How did Jesus overcome His temptation? The Word of God. How do we overcome society? The Word of God. But the amount of biblical ignorance in this world among the Christian community is overwhelming. Christians used to know the Bible. But over the years, that has become less and less predominant. I grew up in the Baptist tradition. And on the Baptist tradition, we had two things. We had revival. And when I first was a kid, revival started on a Sunday night. And it lasted all the way through Friday. And I think it's a poor statement of the church that then revival started being shortened. After all, it was unreasonable. There's that word again, reasonable. It was unreasonable to think that people would come and go to church for six days. Go to church for six days. Amazes me because we're going to spend eternity in heaven, so you might as well get used to it. Six days sitting in a revival service? That's unreasonable. Then it went to five days. Then it went to three days. Then it went to two days. And now it's none. I remember a picture of my dad and his family sitting in a revival tent where they were taking pictures at the revival. And it was early in the 40s and my dad was sitting on the knee of his dad and there was a sea of people underneath this tent coming to hear the Word of God presented. Revivals used to be a thing of the church. And unless you go into rural areas now, and that's small, you don't have revivals. Why is that? Because Christians won't show up. Let's be honest. The majority of people that go to revivals are Christians. We don't have revivals anymore because Christians won't show up. Another one of my traditions that I grew up in was January Bible study. That was a Baptist thing. In January Bible study, they would bring in a guest speaker. And I remember when Kathy and I were at Baylor and we went to the same church. And every January, they had January Bible study and would bring in a guest speaker to study a book of the Bible. And it lasted for a week and the church was packed for January Bible study. Every night. Church was packed because people were interested in the things of God. Think about just regular church. I grew up where you went to church Sunday morning, you went to church Sunday night, you went to church on Wednesday. And yeah, the crowd diminished a little bit as you went to a Wednesday night service. Not by a great amount. We're one of the few churches that even has Wednesday night service. Why did churches stop having Wednesday night service? 
We can look at out of the world and we can talk about how bad the world is, but the church in America stopped having Wednesday night service because Christians aren't interested in the Word of God. But in order to be transformed, I have to use and read the Word of God for God to transform my life. And you do as well. If you want transformation, which is your reasonable service, you have to use the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as in truth, the Word of God who also effectively works in you who believe. Let me read that last phrase again. The Word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. You want God to work in your life? Pick up your Word. Pick up your Word. Study your Word. Be here as the Word's presented each and every Sunday and Wednesday night. It's the only thing that transforms. But the church has been diminishing the impact of the Word for years. I remember at one point we were redoing our Bible study classes and we had kids' classes and somebody came to me and says, you can't really expect my child to sit in a class that all you're going to do is teach the Bible. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, your kid's in high school. I said, do they sit in advanced math class for an hour every day? Yes. Do they sit in English class for an hour every day? I said, so you're telling me they go to formal education and they're sitting there every day for five days a week and you're telling me one day out of the week they can't sit in a class and hear the Word of God presented? So what happened is... is Churches America, we redid kids' classes. Kids' classes don't teach doctrine. It's fun time. But your kid's not going to be transformed by having fun. They can have that anywhere. A kid's going to be transformed when the Word of God is presented and they put it in their heart and they embrace it and they will not be conformed to the things of this world as a believer. It's for all of us. Society is not going to change unless there's a revival and there will not be a revival until churches embrace the Word of God. And when we embrace the Word of God, we have a transformation in our life. And most importantly, as I close, Paul ends verse 2 where it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, my friends, by you living out a Christian life, by you being victorious over sin, by you embracing the Word of God, you are doing the will of God. I remember in the 70s and early 80s, everybody walked around, what is God's will in my life? What is God's will? And that, that was just this huge topic of conversation. What does God want me to do? I can boil it down 
to one simple answer for you. And it's here in this verse. God's will in your life is, is that you live a holy life. That's God's will. Is that you live a holy life. And if you live a holy life, everything else falls into place. That's through transformation. And that only can happen through the power of God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we worship you this morning, we just thank you that in our possession we have your revealed word. And through the power of the Spirit, you've lifted the veil from our eyes and we can read it and we can understand it. And I just pray, Lord, that all of us in this congregation might take it, embrace it, and apply it in our life. I pray, Lord, that we might be like the Apostle Paul and every day die daily to your will, your way, your truth. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone that's listening that does not know you as Savior and Lord, that they might repent of their sins and ask for forgiveness and turn to you and be a child of God today through the wonderful gift of salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.